Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just so glad that you are joining us today. Um, I today I wanted to focus on the power of expectation in our life. Has anyone had an unmet expectation lately? Something that you you hope was going to happen, you expect it to happen, and it turned out a different way. Maybe you expected 2020 to be your year. Maybe this was the year when things were finally going to start turning around for you. When you were going to maybe start that business that you have been thinking about for years now. You were going to uh, get into the shape, the best shape of your life. Maybe you were going to buy that house. Maybe you were going to take that vacation that you were, had been saving for. Maybe you were going to look for that better job. Maybe this year you were graduating and all that hard work that you had put into just, just the study and the many hours was finally going to pay off because you could walk on that stage and receive your diploma in front of all your friends in front of all your family, and it was all going to be worth it. Maybe, maybe this was the year when you were going to be get married and that wedding that you had been thinking and dreaming of since you were a child was finally going to come. You had all your expectations um, with all your family and all your friends, but then we got 2020 instead. And all I can say to you, if this is you, I'm sorry. It's, it's not right. This was not supposed to happen the way it did. And I know that for some people, especially if you're an idealist, if you are a perfectionist or even a planner, this has been a total nightmare. Maybe some of you are a little bit more laid back and you're like, well, I really don't have any expectations any of the time because then I'm just disappointed. Well, that is also a pretty miserable way to live. But the reality is that in every situation, in every relationship, in every, every day at work or in school or on a Zoom meeting, there are expectations that we create and we have shaped certain expectations that we hope that the world would kind of just conform to. We create expectations that sometimes are met, but a lot of the times they're not. In every area of our lives, our family, in our careers, in our, even our church, including our life with God. We have expectations of who we believe God should be and how He should act and what He should do or not do. You have expectations of who you think God um, or, or you're trying to uh, conform God into your own expectations. Now, the challenge in every area of our life, in every relationship, and even in our career, is do we expect others to conform to our expectations, or do we conform our expectations into the reality? And then with our life with God, this is inc- extremely important, that we are able to conform ourselves into who He is, because... When we look at the Gospels, the people who were looking for God, the people who were reading the Scriptures, who were following the law, who were even teaching the Scriptures to others, uh, ended up missing Jesus altogether. He was right there 
in their midst. He was doing everything that scriptures said he was going to do. He looked exactly what the scriptures said he was going to be like. And yet, because of their own preconceived notions, because of their own systems and agendas, they completely missed them. And we are foolish to think that we don't create or we can't create uh, the same problem that our own thinking, our own expectations of who God is, who we expect Him to be, and we, we can miss Jesus and are, are, are not able to get a grasp of who Jesus really is. Because in Jesus, God shows up in a way that no one expected. And this could be disappointing, even for us. So let's read. Let's get into, into the text here. Mark 11. I'm going to start in verse 1. And this is Jesus preparing himself to enter into the city of Jerusalem for the last time. As they approached Jerusalem and came to, came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord needs it. And they will send you, send it back here shortly. So they went, they found that colt out in the street. It was tied at a doorway. They untied it. And some people were standing there and asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered what Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. When they, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Now, I want you to pause here and picture yourself in this next scene. Because, or, or try to imagine that you are a first century Jew. You've been li- you, you live in the city of Jerusalem, which is the capital a city of Israel. And all you've ever known your entire life has been living under the boot of an oppressive foreign occupation, a foreign government. And you are marginalized and socially and economically bankrupt. You have no status. You have close to no rights, no freedom. You and your family and your friends pretty much live at the mercy of this foreign government who can really care less about you about your people, about your needs. Your faith is, to them, considered inferior and it's ridiculed. But you start hearing of this man. You hear of this man who's, who's been traveling around Israel. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. And he's a Jew just like you. He's been traveling around Israel. He's been teaching. And he's also been healing people. And he's doing some incredible things. And, and some say he is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the one who's going to save and free your people from oppression. The one the scriptures, the prophets have been announcing would soon come. And he would be a king. A kind of king that is just and righteous and merciful. And he was going to come and set things to right order. And he's coming to your city. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's coming to the city of the king. And that can only mean one thing. The time has come. And you can't miss out, right? So you gather all your friends and you gather all your family and you head to the street. And and there's a lot of people there. There's no social distancing because there's no pandemic. So you're just there and you're ready to see him. But remember, you're first century. So there's no TV. You've never seen even a picture of this person So you don't really know 
what this person or, or what to expect. What, what are you waiting for? What, what are you expecting to see? A warrior king? A royal procession? An entourage? You, the office fans will get that. The other ones, the other, uh, the rest of you will just think I'm weird. But what are you expecting to see? A man and a horse or, or a chariot or an army. But instead you see a humble, ordinary, carpenter, fisherman looking fellow. Wait, is he riding a donkey? Huh. So we keep reading. Verse 8, many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. So Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the God of the universe, enters the city on a donkey. Was it his donkey? It was a borrowed donkey, a questionably acquired donkey. Once again, Jesus is defying expectations of what his life, of what his ministry, his kingdom should be, should look like. This isn't the first time that we see Jesus just borrowing and using other people's stuff. Right? Right? We, we see him, hey Peter, uh, let me use your bow so we can get to that other side or bring me that coin or, or, you know, let's go to your house and eat there. Um, hey kid, let me, let me see your lunch. What do you have? Fish? You have some bread too? Okay, bring me that too. Right? Hey guys, I need a donkey. Go get me a donkey. All through the Gospels, our picture of God just being entirely powerful, entirely self-sufficient, in need of no one, is shifted. Really shifted in the, in the person of Jesus because we see him. We see him tired. We see him hungry. We see him thirsty. We see him being tempted. Um, we see him asking questions. We see him sending others to do things and, and even borrowing stuff. Some people really struggle with this idea of a God who is all good and all powerful, especially in times like these, like we find ourselves now. If he is good and he is all powerful, how come the world is the way that it is? If we try to align God to what we expect him to be, what we expect him to do, how we expect him to operate, chances are that we will be disappointed. Because he doesn't show up in the way that we believe he should. And we begin to ask, is he really good? Is he really powerful? Can I really trust him? Does he even care? But in Jesus... In Jesus, we see a God who comes to us. And surprisingly, He limits Himself intentionally. He chooses to come in human form. Suffering and dying at the hands of His own creation. But even after His death, after His burial and resurrection, after the coming, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God continues to hold back to limit himself so that we can partner uh, with him. To be uh, his partners in work of healing, of transforming, of redeeming and making all things new. The scriptures are clear that we, his people, are invited to partner with God as co-workers. 
He invites us as co-laborers in His kingdom. We see it in 1 Corinthians 3.9. It says this, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Have you ever thought yourself as a co-worker with God? The God, the creator of the universe, who holds all things together, says to you, says to us, let's, let's work together. Yes, I'm God and I can do anything I want, and yet I choose to work with you in this way. John Wesley, who's the founder of Methodism and this whole Wesleyan movement that we as a church are a part of, he said this, God does nothing in this world except in response to the prayers of His people. It sure does look like in the scriptures and church history, really, that God limits Himself and He says, Will you pray? Will you follow me? Will you partner with me? And that's a beautiful mystery about God, isn't it? That He calls me and you to be a part of what He's doing. In human history. He could do anything he ever wanted with no help from us. He could just show himself. He could feed the hungry. He could heal every sickness. He could fix every broken system. Bring justice and peace with the snap of a finger. And yet, instead, he chooses his people to be his hands and his feet in this world. To do the work that matters to him. And church, we're living in the middle of an unprecedented time, right? There's this whole health crisis and all of the implications. There's economic crisis because of it as well. Many experiencing loss and, 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 and suffering and pain. Racial injustice, political unrest, severe polarization outside, but unfortunately also inside of the church. And it is right. It is right to ask God, what is this? Why is this happening? Where are you? And yet it's also right for us to acknowledge and believe that God says, I see you. I feel you. I understand your pain. I am right there experiencing it with you too. I am right there with the most vulnerable among you. Come. Come and partner with me. I am empowering and sending the church. Not away from the pain and the brokenness, but but towards it. Come, come follow me. Learn to listen. Learn to engage with people. Learn to do justice. To love mercy and to walk humbly with me. My plan has always been to heal and to reconcile all things through my people. And if we're honest, the world that Jesus comes into is just as violent, is just as chaotic and divided and unjust. And how does God choose to come into that world? With great power and authority, kicking butt, taking names? No! As an ordinary brown man from an obscure town no status no wealth no power really in order to see jesus we would have needed to come close to just kind of listen for a while to follow him around 
And he enters Jerusalem. He enters the city not as a conquering king as a ho- uh, on a horse, but as a humble servant on a donkey, right? And it's someone else's donkey. And he, he's riding this small donkey at eye level with everyone else, not above them. He's betrayed by one of his followers. He's arrested by the religious establishment, abandoned by his friends, unjustly tried as a criminal. He's beaten by the authorities and violently executed by the government. This is the God that we worship. This is Jesus. What other kind of God would we want in a broken world just like ours? One that just kind of stands by and gives orders. Or one that comes down and takes on our pain and takes on our mess. And he invites us to be part of his work in this world. And he limits himself in order to partner with us in bringing about healing and justice in this world. And in a world of just flash and bang, it's so easy to miss a king who comes as a suffering servant. What would happen if the church understood that every issue, every hurt in the world, in our city, in our neighborhood, is not the result of a God who's absent, who has no regard But rather, it's an opportunity, an invitation to partner with God and together be the means of His grace and love of justice and healing in the world that is so desperate. Desperate for the church to stop asking, what's in it for me? How does it make me feel? Do I feel comfortable? Do I feel safe? Does this align with my views? Does this align with my politics? And really ask, what is God up to? What is he already doing and how can we be a part of that? How can we be agents of healing, of serving, of feeding the hungry, of listening to the voiceless, of standing up for the oppressed, of loving the unlovable, of praying for our enemies and those who hate us? As we call, if we follow the, the, the call of our teacher, who is also our king, who is also our God. He says, In my kingdom, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must first be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even I, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life in ransom as ransom for many. So in this season that we find ourselves of so many, so many unmet expectations of uncertainty, of transition even as a church, let us be reminded that we love and we serve a God that is not shaken by it. He's not threatened by it. He's also not not distant. He's not absent. He's in the midst of it all. Who's at work? And he's also inviting us, his people, to trust him. To stop trying to make him conform to our own ideas or our own expectations and to follow him and to join him, partner with him in his work. To be his people in a world that desperately needs the church to be the church. That is my prayer 
That is, that is part of the church and the person that I want to be. And I hope that that is yours as well. So join me in prayer tonight. Today, sorry. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son. For not giving us a savior we expected or we thought we wanted, but for giving us Jesus. So much better than we could have ever imagined. I thank you for loving our church. I thank you for um, bringing a spirit of unity to our church. We just ask so that we would be able to trust you. We would be able to surrender our own agendas and follow you. Lord, I also want to pray for our pastor, Pastor Tony and Heidi. I thank you, Lord, for their ministry. I thank you for their faithfulness, for the ways that they have poured themselves into this community, for the ways that they've challenged us, for the ways that they have encouraged us and lifted us up. We thank you for their time here. We ask that you would bless them. Lord, and as a church, we just ask that we would be able to surrender, be able to trust, and be able to partner with you in what you're up to because we believe that this is a new season and we want to be at the center of your will. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.